Hello, friends. The episode you are about to listen to is one of our old episodes, back from when the Is MMT Real series was on the Current Affairs podcast feed. So some of the references made might be outdated. Onward down the rabbit hole. This episode of Rabbit Hole was brought to you by the Plan de Ayala. The Plan de Ayala was a document drafted by Emiliano Zapata in 1911. The Plan de Ayala was a direct response to Madero's Plan de San Luis Potosí and contained an articulation of Zapata's land reform proposals. The plan included a redistribution of lands from landlords to tenants and a confiscation and redistribution to villages and individuals without land of either one-third or all of the land owned by Mexican monopolies. Whether it was one-third or all of the land depended on whether those monopolies consented to the plan. If you'd like to join the Plan de Ayala in supporting Rabbit Hole, please go to patreon.com slash rabbit hole podcast. Abraham here. I am the finance editor of Current Affairs. I'm here with my good friend Pete Davis. Hello, everyone. Episode two. You have decided to come back to us. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're amazing. so happy to have you. You know, it's a little shocking, honestly, but uh, I'm really glad it happened. So welcome. Hello. Thank you. We are here for our second installment. And just like Pete said on the first installment, what we're trying to do here is is we're trying to learn and we're also trying to work together on this and think through and have questions and get those questions answered. About what questions, Sparky? Oh, well, we actually, if you all go back to the first episode, there were a whole lot of questions that we talked about at the end of the first episode. And we're gonna but read... the big question, the giant oh, big question. Oh, you want me to say the title of the thing. Is MMT real? This is our question. Is MMT real? Is MMT real. <laughs> is it real? Is it true? Is it new? Is it useful? These are our questions, and we're going to have just a million sub-questions. So before we get into the sub-questions, Pete, can you tell the listeners who our guest is going to be in a few minutes here? Okay. Our guest today is Pavlina Cherneva. She is an associate professor of economics at Bard College. She's in the pantheon of current MMT folks, and her specialty, this is like, it's like, it's like in a heist when um, they're taking the bank. Some people work on like weapons, locks, and keys. Yeah, Other yeah. people hack into the computer system. Right. If Kelton is George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> <laughs> Pavlina Cherneva, her expertise is the jobs guarantee. So that's what she's carved out, and she is the probably leading expert out there on the jobs guarantee, which to MMTers is like one of the major policy proposals that, according to them, comes out of their kind of ideas about modern monetary theory. Okay, wait, I just have to, I just have to bring up something completely unrelated to MMT because you mentioned Ocean's Eleven. Yes, no, please do. Someone pointed out recently that like, I think it was either Ocean's Eleven or one of the sequels is one of a very small set of movies where the actor playing one of the characters in the movie exists as themselves in the movie's universe yes. in addition to the character that they're playing julia roberts right julia roberts is mentioned in the movie as an actress even though she is playing a character in the movie it's incredibly strange people early 2000s was the time we had the most experimentation with like kind of things that would be 
amazing to a 17 year old guy which is what i roughly was <laughs> right it's like okay. wow <laughs> like, whoa that's, have you that's seen weird. memento <laughs> <laughs> and i want we should i hope like in the 2040s we cycle back to stuff like that yeah yeah i've wondered it's a movie where every scene is different and you know being john malkovich had that too kind of oh being john that's true i mean yeah, yeah. the whole like charlie kaufman the whole charlie yeah, kaufman that, scene yes. was a, Anyway, back, back to, to the Pavlina, job This is the first ever intro of Pavlina <laughs> Cherneva that starts with a long digression on Ocean's Eleven, uh, <laughs> where I compared her to the person who like knows how to, um, <laughs> you know, uh, well, rappel down the building or something. So, you know, the idea of this is before we start talking to our guest, we want to talk about the questions that we have left over from our last guest and some of the things that we want to try to get answers to, more clarification on in the coming interview. And the answer to that question is we have questions about everything. We have questions about everything. And we're going to have questions about even more because we didn't really talk to Professor Kelton very much at all about the jobs guarantee. I think it might have come up here and there. But, you know, I expect that we're going to get a whole lot of new information to chew on while we try to get our lingering questions answered. But, you know, keeping that in mind... What were we left with last time? Well, we were left with, you know, how does inflation work? How does what inflation is the work? national debt? Mm-hmm. Does it matter if people are savers or spenders? Mm. Is there any use to a wealth tax? How far can MMT go in kind of giving money to states or around the world? Mm-hmm. What is a bondholder? <laughs> is there a, you know, what, what does it mean that there's a market for money? A supply of dollars is that a different thing domestically than it is internationally? And and you know the thing that I think touched on the jobs guarantee. Kelton mentioned the jobs guarantee, but we're going to like really talk about the jobs guarantee today. The thing is, they always talked about real resources and underutilized real resources. So like the big MMT thing seems to be to us so far. We know nothing though. That's one of the themes of the show. By the end, we'll know it all. But MMT is really big on you can keep spending if the real resources are not being used. And the reason they're really into the jobs guarantee, I think, is because an unemployed person is a real resource not being used. Yeah. And Professor Kelton said something in the last episode that we didn't talk about at the end of the last episode, but that is kind of stuck in my head. And it also was kind of brought up in Raul Carrillo's recent article in Current Affairs about MMT which is that she said that unemployment is a policy choice, that we keep a reserve of unemployed people on purpose for some economic reason, and that that is a bad choice. And I think that that is what, that is the the fact that the jobs guarantee is kind of aimed at. But I want to know what that means. <laughs> I don't understand what it means to say, like, we're keeping a reserve of unemployed people. How are we doing that? Why would we do that? What is happening? What is the orthodox thinking there such that the heterodox thinking is, no, no, we should give everyone a job? Yeah, is it like unemployment is an unfortunate problem that we need to solve as opposed to just a choice we could flip a switch and make happen? Right. An underutilized resource, like according to Matt Brunig, frequent critic of the jobs guarantee, might be just like a mom or dad deciding to stay home or someone deciding to have more leisure time or... You know, a kid deciding to not work till later and have fun in their early 20s or something. There's a question as to how we've defined what actually is a job, what is a resource, what is value in the economy. Yes. And that that I want to really ask her about that because so on a like human dignity level, like we're getting into like 
you are an underutilized resource or you're just you're fine just the way you are. <laughs> you know? Right. And then on an environmentalist level, I bet environmentalists would say, you know, that river is an underutilized resource or it's a thing that just should stay a river and not be used to like lower inflation. Yeah. What does this mean when we say underutilized resource? Right. The river is a great example because like, you know, the first, the first notion of conservation in terms of water conservation was making sure that no water was left in the riverbed (laughs) to use it all. (laughs) I'm hopeful that we're going to talk to Matt Brunig later to get his perspective also on some of this. But I do want to like, just based on essentially what I've seen on Twitter, I think that like one of his main critiques of the job guarantee that I think we need to ask about is whether it's workfare. You know, this is something that he constantly says. Jobs guarantee is just workfare. It's welfare with a work requirement. Where we've decided that we're okay giving people money as long as they go to work, which, you know, kind of has a very ugly history in terms of passing the United States welfare reform in the 1990s that introduced these work requirements that ended up like creating a lot of misery and kicking a lot of people off of public benefits who really needed them. I don't necessarily quite know what this means, but I think we need to get into it a little bit here and try to find out, you know, what's right about this and what's wrong about it. And I'm sure Professor Cherneva has been in these fights before, and she's got some uh, thoughts on this. Yes. And it's like interesting because it plays up against UBI, which I think, you know, one option is the government takes its money and just gives it to you. The other is it takes its money and makes jobs. And its money is something that maybe MMTers would question because there's not a finite amount of money. Right. <laughs> And and one of the and one of the big questions that we started with, which I, I'm I'm really expecting that we'll be able to get at least some some clarity on, is like I don't I still don't understand you know why is it that MMT people love the jobs guarantee and hate UBI, and that people who hate the jobs guarantee and love UBI hate MMT? What, what is that? What are the actual relationships between these things? So should we dive in? Yeah, let's jump right in. Let's bring Professor Cherneva in to the is MMT real. Studio. Thank you so much for coming on. Hello, thank you for having me. We're so glad to have you here. You just wrote this book called The Case for a Job Guarantee. But before we jump into the content of your book, we'd love to ask you about your personal history of coming to this cause. What is the story for our listeners of how you got turned on to MMT and specifically how you got turned on to the jobs guarantee within it? Yeah, thanks. I, as an undergraduate, I was fortunate enough to have some professors who uh, opened my eyes to uh, different traditions within economics. And so I think it's just from day one, I was asking questions uh, and looking at different perspectives, but I was fortunate in my junior year to get an internship with somebody that uh, your listeners may know uh, called Warren Mosler, who had some ideas of his own and was looking for a researcher to see if there was any merit (laughs) to his ideas. My task was to see, well, whether there's any literature that might be supportive. There were very provocative ideas about money, how government spends, what we could do with the public budget, and then I basically did some critical study of his, of his work, but it turned out that it actually fits very neatly within several traditions within economics, but didn't quite, uh, they didn't quite put the message the way, uh, the way Warren did. And so that launched the research project. I was mostly interested in big picture macro questions. How do we stabilize the economy? 
mostly interested in this in this paradox that we are taught in economics that somehow policymakers have to choose between unemployment and inflation. And it seemed to me that there was definitely a better alternative than keeping mass unemployment. So I came at this as a, a for, as a macroeconomist, but eventually was uh, be, you know began researching the practical aspect, the human, if you will, aspect to job creation. And here we are. I know we we want to ask a little bit about the the history of the jobs guarantee too, but just something you said hit on a question that that we had, which is you said this idea that you have to choose between unemployment and inflation. Can you say a little bit more about what that idea is or was? Like, how does that work? Why do people think that you have to choose between unemployment and inflation? Yeah, there's a concept in economics called the natural rate of unemployment, and the idea behind it is that there is some level that the market mechanism will produce of jobless, uh, of a number of jobless people. And it's natural, presumably, because we can't create any more jobs. And if policymakers attempt to bring the unemployment rate lower than this so-called natural rate, we might have to put up with higher prices. The idea being that there might be too much income generated in the economy, there might be too much spending that's generated in the economy, that might push prices up. But also, if there is a shortage of unemployed workers, workers might actually start asking for higher wages. They might be able to bargain a little bit more. And that might push uh, wages up and then consequently prices for firms to cover those costs. So you see, the paradigm is that we need to maintain, if you will, a reserve army of of the unemployed to be able to tame prices. And that just did not sound like even on the face of it, like a like a good way to run an economy, and that uh, there really should be alternatives that allow us to stabilize prices without inflicting mass unemployment and all the social costs that come with it on the economy. And maybe I should say, you know, uh, unemployment is privileged with this very unique position. You know, economists don't really talk about other social problems as natural. Like we don't talk about like the natural rate of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Like we don't talk about the natural rate of hunger that somehow if if we just allow more people to have homes or you know feed themselves that that will just unleash all sorts of terrible things on the economy but for unemployment that's the conversation. Right. Interesting. One further follow-up question and then we'll jump into kind of the solution that you've been promoting which is a job guarantee. Economists like to talk about this trade-off between unemployment and inflation. But some people on the left actually want there to be wage inflation. They don't want there to be general inflation, but one of the reasons they want there to be full employment is that wages then start going up. If everything starts going up, then the wages get eaten by higher prices. But is the goal to stabilize wages or is the goal to just have wages go up, but not other prices go up. And we're obviously revealing our hand as laymen, non-economists here. So um, could you help unpack that question a little bit for us? Yes, that's an important question. So there are two parts to this story. First, we all want wages to rise. We all want the floor to be lifted up, that it is firm above poverty wage floor. And we know what this economy has done. Almost half of American workers earn less than $15 an hour. There are millions that don't even earn that and others that don't even have a job. So they earn zero. 
So we want to raise the floor. We want to firm up what constitutes a basic, decent wage level that's uncompromising. And anyone, wherever they work, public, private sector, can earn it. Now, the second bit is about stabilization. We know that the economy has a heartbeat. We know that the economy expands, contracts, expands, contracts. And we want to be able to produce an environment that is generally stable without um, periodically in mass laying off workers. Okay, so what the job guarantee proposal we can discuss does is actually provide a stabilizing mechanism that's a substitute for unemployment. So number one, it raises the, the wage floor by providing a basic job option to anyone who wants it. And also it matches this heartbeat of the economy when there are people that are laid off in mass it actually provides the employment opportunities. But when the private sector recovers and starts growing and provides more employment opportunities, better paid wages, then the program shrinks as people move to better opportunities. So we're looking for a structural change that provides uh, good incomes and a stepping stone to better employment opportunities within a full employment environment that is all around better for the unemployed, for unions, for private sector, for the public sector, you name it. I mean, I think that you've described sort of how this looks and what the structure is in what you've said so far. But can you just say a little bit more like what what is the jobs guarantee? You know, what, what does it look like? So maybe it's useful to start with this question. Do we believe that if somebody walks into the unemployment office or is looking for work, they should be able to find it? Is this like a basic proposition that we can all agree on? And I think it's, it's probably sensible that, yeah, if somebody wants to work, they should have employment opportunities. They should be going into this, this, this environment that's kind of cruel, you know, trying to outcompete the next unemployed person for the scarce jobs that are out there. Okay, now, what should that environment look like? Well, of course, we want good jobs. We want the, the private sector, the economy to create strong, robust, better paid employment opportunities with good work conditions. But we are noticing that it doesn't. Increasingly, it doesn't. There are jobless recoveries and the jobs that are created are precarious. So what if we put in place a, just a public option that just constitutes the basic job offer as just the minimum that one can find in the labor market? And let that be the floor, the standard for all jobs in the economy in terms of basic pay and benefit package. Think of this as a public option. You go into the unemployment office, you uh, look for work. Uh, we try all the conventional ways to find you uh, work befitting your skills. But if absolutely cannot find exactly what you want, we will create a menu of options in the public service sector to fulfill some much needed public service work. Now, it turns out that this program will benefit precisely the people who have the hardest obstacles to entering the labor market or holding on to good jobs. Those who juggle two, three part-time jobs because we cannot find one stable employment opportunity, those who have the greatest obstacles to employment because the private sector considers them undesirable, unemployable for one way or another. And it is a, a basic guarantee that one key aspect of economic security will be provided to all. So I, I think of the job guarantee very much the way I think of, for example, public schools. You know, we think as a society that young people should have guaranteed education, so we guarantee it. If as a society we think that we should have an environment where everybody can find work and we should guarantee a basic decent job offer, then that's the job guarantee. So trying to drill down on this a little bit, like you say that it would be a guarantee of a job that would fit someone's skills or kind of what they're coming in with. So like, what is that? 
you know, okay, so like I'm a I'm an attorney, right? Like right now I work in legal services. If I were to lose my job and then I were to go to the unemployment office because I can't find another attorney job or in a recession, whatever, like are they going to try to get me an attorney job? Am I going to be kind of cleaning up the park? Does it depend on what sort of my community needs at that point? Or does it depend on something about me? How does this kind of play out? What does it look like for people? Yes, this is a design question. And the question is, what kind of jobs will we create and for whom? Now, the principal mechanism for job creation is that it creates some community work that is needed and fits the job to the person in the sense of their skill and need, but it's still a basic job offer for macroeconomic reasons. Um, It it provides the, the basic wage benefit package. So if you are an attorney and you would like to do some work with community organizations, some legal work that they may be, it may be in short supply. They may not be able to afford them. And you would like to participate in these areas, then that program, the public service employment program will provide it. Now, you can really expand the definition of the kind of work that you can do because there are all sorts of folks that might lose their jobs. And of course, if you're an engineer at NASA, this might not be terribly satisfactory, right? That this is a basic job offer with, let's say, $35,000, $40,000 wage benefit package. And you might seek other employment opportunities. The way the economy works is that the high-skilled individuals don't tend to experience the scorch of unemployment. They don't experience job, you know, unemployment for very long. And if they do, they tend to have the assets and the income to weather a short spell of unemployment. But really, the it's the bottom that we are trying to firm up, the foundation of the labor market and provide a mechanism that really formalizes, strengthens the labor market and provides better work experience for those at the very bottom. So, you know, folks who might uh, have have not completed high school, folks who are regularly last hired, first fired, folks who have difficulty holding on to certain private sector jobs. For example, people with disabilities would like to work, but the, the market doesn't quite create, you know, jobs fitted for people with disabilities. In fact, our law allows us to pay as little as $1 an hour for a person with disability. So what we want to be able to do is provide a suitable job for anyone who comes in. And so if if your particular conditions require you not to stand for very long hours, uh, if you have a particular skill like a web skill or technical skill or would like to do some of the upskilling with our program, then that's the program that, that will, will be available to you. You know, this sounds kind of, for someone who's never heard of a job guarantee before, they it sounds very out there, but I, I'd like to talk about maybe two examples that make it, that normalize it a bit. So one you know, just on, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on them. So one is, I see this on a very small level a lot. So you have these kind of community groups like churches, and there's a member of the congregation who they're, they're having trouble holding off, up a job, or people who are not chronically having trouble holding up a job, but they're in hard times. And you sometimes see if the church has enough money, they'll be like, hey, do you want to be the accountant for the church for a year? Or do you want to be the person that cleans up? We'll pay you for it. And the goal is not really that the church exactly needed that job at the time, but it would be useful and it serves this purpose of helping keep 
this congregant employed. And you see this with some civic groups too. And even, you know, in towns and small towns, sometimes the city will hire someone because they kind of, they'll take one for the team of being like, oh yeah, we'll hire them. We'll keep them going. Um, And this seems like that on a national level. The other normalization I've seen of this is this was pitched in the civil rights movement. And in the 60s, there was a whole kind of push for this. It was part of the civil rights package at the March on Washington. A March on Washington for jobs and freedom was the long name for it. So I'd love to hear about whether that first example is something that people kind of have used as a metaphor before, and also talk about the civil rights history of it. You know, some of these ways we we see a jobs guarantee in national culture already. Yes, I think you're right. The guarantee is what scares people. Like when they hear job guarantee, they're like, oh, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You know, uh, why are we guaranteeing jobs? By guarantee, I just mean that there's a there's a program that's there that you can tap into on as needed basis. Okay. And the second thing I think we want to think about is the current environment guarantees mass unemployment. Like this is really the problem we're trying to deal with. Uh, we're trying to find a way to reduce that drastically, to provide a stepping stone transition employment opportunity for people who need it, and to reduce all of the social and economic costs of unemployment. We can talk about that, but it is an extremely expensive proposition from an economic and social point of view to maintain people in mass poverty and, and joblessness. Okay, now, are these not real jobs is one question. Well, the, so the answer is no, they're, they're quite real that uh, we have a public sector that's responsible for dealing with you know, social problems. And we also see that there is so much public sector work that is kind of neglected. And it might seem small and insignificant, but actually it makes a huge difference. You know, I, I'm reading that in New York City, trash is not being picked up <laughs> because, you know, because budgets are being decimated through the, the crisis. And it seems like a simple thing, but it's a public health concern. Sanitation is a public health concern. Tree planting might seem like a simple, you know, and maybe like a fake job. But you know what? We, we recognize that tree planting is vital infrastructure, especially for urban and polluted areas. Those are the lungs of the city. So, you know, we could talk about how many things we can do if we just put these two problems together. One, that the unemployed need work. Two, the public sector does need to fill in a whole bunch of gaps and so we are creating jobs for the public purpose. So it's a, it's a bit of a different model, uh, indeed. But also the, the job component was recognized as a basic human right. So even before the civil rights era, you can think of the UN Declaration of Human Rights that codified the right to work. And many modern institu- uh, like constitutions actually have the right to employment in the constitutions, but the mandate is not met. You can think also of FDR's second Bill of Rights, the Economic Bill of Rights that's begun with the right to a job. And I think that, you know, this is this is a very important point that in, in, a, in a market economy and one of the primary ways in which we provision for ourselves is through wage paid work. Not the only one, but it is one important mechanism. And it is a basic right for somebody to have access to paid employment. So during the civil rights uh, era, that conversation was revived that uh, you could think began in the 30s and 40s. We understood the intersection of uh, uh, unemployment with other social and economic uh, injustices like racial subjugation, that unemployment was in full employment was very important to the African-American community. And that was taken up by 
Martin Luther King as a signature as a signature piece. And you know, we we keep having this conversation. You know, right now the job guarantee was now uh, embraced by the green movement and the and was put in the green new deal. So so we keep coming back to this idea that it's not just jobs, that it is a precondition for so much of what we try to do, whether it is racial justice, whether it is gender issues and equity issues in the labor market, whether it is the transition from fossil fuel jobs and providing some safety to folks who might lose their employment as we move to a green future. I mean, everything is connected to everything. And unemployment seems to be kind of at the heart of these problems. When you talk to people who are into modern monetary theory, or when you kind of read about modern monetary theory, jobs guarantee is something that frequently comes up. And I guess in the way that you've described it so far, I could see someone thinking this is a great idea, even if they are not necessarily an adherent or even don't know anything about modern monetary theory. What are, what are the connections here? Like, how is MMT and, and the jobs guarantee connected and, and why are they so often joined in the conversation? Yes, clearly the job guarantee predates MMT. You know, people have arrived at this conclusion that we need to guarantee this basic human right. I think what MMT has done is it has taken a different research program and tried to explain how public finances work, how the government budget works, and dispel a whole lot of myths about these artificial constraints that, you know, somehow the public sector doesn't have financial resources and uh, we need to tighten our belt and we just can't afford whether it is economic rights or anything else of public value. So MMT talks about money uh, and specifically state money and the public purse. Apart from breaking down that shackle that the public sector has in a technical sense, unlimited funding capacity to pay for its priorities, to finance its budget deficits and debts. MMT also has another kind of contribution to our conversation, that if you issue a currency, you also have a responsibility to provide it in a manner that is consistent with public objectives, that is consistent with economic stability, and it's consistent with specifically full employment and price stability. So going back to the start of our conversation, the current model uses unemployment to stabilize the economy, right? Now, if the public sector is in charge of macroeconomic stabilizations, and if the public sector can appropriate budgets to that end, then let those budgets be linked directly to providing a base wage in the economy through a full employment program. That provides important anchors for the labor market, for prices, and uh, automatic stabilizer that did not previously exist. So in some sense, they are inherently connected because the government has the ultimate power of spending and the ultimate responsibility for providing economic security. One thing I've seen as a connection to MMT is that, so MMT says don't focus on the def. This is a very quick summary and you know way better than we do, but from what we understand, MMT says focus on inflation, don't focus on the deficit and debt. Um, and one of the reasons I've heard that MMT is interested in the jobs guarantee is because if you have unutilized real resources, including unemployed people in terms of resources, you can activate those resources through kind of public payment without having a lot of inflationary pressure. 
because they were underutilized before and now they're being utilized. Um, is that a correct kind of summary also of a connection here is that there is less inflationary pressure from a jobs guarantee than there is from, say, a UBI where you just send people money without asking them to do anything. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are many there are many reasons why uh, the job guarantee is less inflationary, but there there are two things. The first thing is that um, let's compare the job guarantee to current policy. What do we do? We you know imagine an enlightened government, and that enlightened government says, okay, we are just going to achieve full employment by all means possible, and we're going to prime the pump, and we're going to send contracts anywhere and everywhere, and provide subsidies and tax cuts and all of the conventional things that, that we do. And we dump a lot of money into the economy. Now that we can, we can use for sure. There's a lot of work that has to be done. But if we try to stimulate, and usually that happens by picking winners, right? And we, when you try to stimulate an industry that is already at capacity, that's already highly skilled labor and folks that don't experience unemployment, and then there's bidding war in those industrial sectors for workers, skilled workers. You can see how this kind of stimulus would be more inflationary than if you just went and employed the unemployed and just provided the basic job offer and did it the opposite. Rather than hiring from the top, we hired from the bottom. What I'm saying and what I'm suggesting is that there is plenty of industrial policy that is needed and must be done, but it's not going to secure full employment But because it doesn't ever trickle far down to those who need work, especially when you work through uh, private sector agents who are, for one reason or another, find certain workers not to be suitable for their jobs. Okay, And so in this sense, the public sector can just go directly to the problem by employing the unemployed, and there's plenty of public needs that need to be tapped. So by comparison, one it raises the floor, while the other one kind of bids up wages in the top. With respect to UBI, I mean, Look, you know, there are many versions of UBI and we can spend a whole hour talking about what that is. But uh, if you're thinking of instead of a job providing $30,000 income to every citizen in the country, by comparison, this kind of budget is going to dwarf multiple times over what the job guarantee budget will be. And if you dump it into the economy, it doesn't create additional output on its own. You also provide it to folks who don't need it. And it basically does represent a major fiscal injection that doesn't have the automatic stabilizing feature of the job guarantee. And UBI still doesn't create enough jobs for all. Maybe this is just a, a difference in understanding, but like what you're saying, it sounds like when you're characterizing UBI as a $30,000, you're saying that would go to like a, a real universal UBI, like it would go to everybody. What if you just had, you know, a $30,000 a year unemployment benefit? Well, I mean, it doesn't solve the unemployment problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. And surely, you know, we can we can provide uh, income. It's not a financial, this is not a financial question. You know, the government could do it. Is the $30,000 wage to uh, uh, unemployment insurance, what is going to be the impact on the on the market? What is going to be the impact on, on, on paid employment? Is, go, is it going to provide, you know, the kind of stabilizer uh, in terms of uh, in terms of wages? If the government is providing a $30,000, $40,000, is that going to have a negative labor supply effect? I think these are legitimate questions. Is that going to cause you know, a lot of people to step out of, of uh, some precarious private sector work? Now, then the next question is, if those folks still need work, if they still want to find paid work, will the private sector 
create those job opportunities. And, and my contention is that no, the private sector will not. And we just uh, need to provide work with a supplementary program. And the reason is because unemployment is important to folks for reasons greater than income. And I think this also has to be recognized. It's not just, you know, people don't work just because they, they're going to get income. You know, there are multiple other social, psychological health reasons why people like to work, want to work. And so my contention is we, we, we provide those opportunities. So, so what I'm saying is that the job guarantee is not the substitute for other policies. And we should think carefully of how to craft a jobs program along with an income program to support folks who cannot work and shouldn't work. And there are good reasons why they should not be in the in the labor market or can't do it. And so I, you know, I tend to talk about something called participation income. I think of the job guarantee as income provided to participate in public service and the community. And I think of it as a program that is resides within a broader welfare system that's, that supports students with, if you will, you know, free tuition, universal child allowance, robust social security, all of the other dimensions of economic insecurity that folks tend to experience. There's a few questions here, and, and I do want to get to kind of this moral civic question of like, is unemployment a problem? like on a civic moral level. But before we get to that, just on the economics, like if you provide kind of very healthy unemployment benefits for people that kind of can't find private sector work and people did start dropping out of Burger King and Subway and home health care jobs, you know, to take that unemployment income, benefit entitlement, whatever we want to call it, would not those jobs start saying we need to compete with unemployment income to get our workers back. So they would start raising wages to try to woo workers back. Why do we think that that would not cause there to be wage raises? If So you're saying like, oh, if you always have a $15 jobs guarantee job, that will make other people want to pay $15 to win workers back. But if you always have a, you know, whatever the equivalent unemployment for two years, three years, whatever, length that lasts, wouldn't that also cause the same thing to happen? There will be some some effect like that. Yeah. You know, if, if you're getting unemployment insurance that is generous, you know, $2,000 a month and McDonald's is giving you a thousand, of course, you're not going to take the job. So yeah, I see that there will be some benefit. Now think of all the other aspects to comparing unemployment to a job. You know, a job also creates a public uh, output. It creates some specific public good. Now, unemployment, it doesn't by definition. And unemployment also creates this odd problem of unemployability. So if McDonald's or the restaurant increase the wage as a consequence of trying to compete with unemployment insurance, they're still not going to hire the unemployed. They will still prefer to hire people who have already worked. Yeah. And that is what we notice in the labor market. It just works in this way that especially the long-term unemployed, have the hardest obstacles. And just in the eyes of the employer, they are no good. And so while I appreciate the sentiment, and I absolutely agree that our unemployment insurance system is just, you know, broken and needs to be, you know, fortified, you still don't deal with these, with these other aspects and other obstacles. I mean, there are just so many other ways in which employers discriminate and basically find methods of not employing workers. And so by comparison, the job guarantee by comparison with unemployment is a step up and improvement for their life chances. I hear kind of on a practical and also these kind of non-economic, non-income 
parts of work. I'm sympathetic to some of those arguments about participation in the community. And and also on a practical level, if you do want to go beyond kind of this minimum level of income, gives you training and having a lot on your resume for a long time, like a big gap could kind of kneecap your whole career, things like that. I think a lot of people's concerns, and I'd love to hear your response to this, are that you know, let me tell it through this story. You know, one of the most shocking facts that kind of haunts me, and I think haunts a lot of people, is the computer revolution doubled our productivity, but yet we work more hours than we did back before the computer revolution. And I think there's this, some people use the joke like, um, robot communism or robot space communism or something like this. The idea, like Andrew Yang talks about this too with automation, like the idea that we could increase our productivity and technology and pay those dividends into working less, working less hours and having less people work. And that unemployment is actually the thing we're trying to build as a society, which is a society that has grown technologically and productivity-wise to achieve all of its needs without having everyone work is the eventual end goal to some people. And the jobs guarantee, I think their fear is that it locks in this paradigm that that's not our goal. It locks in the paradigm that the goal is we're always working forever. And so I'd, I'd love to ask, you know, what do you think about that question of, let's say in the next 50 years, we triple productivity. Should we all work one third And is there a concern that the jobs guarantee might prevent that or set us down a path of saying, oh, we should always just work up to the productivity level and just make more and more and more? What do you think about that kind of challenge? Yes. So we should all work less. Yeah, I agree. We are overworked, overstretched. There's lots of work that's nonsense out there. We're not utilizing technology in the right way. We should automate away a whole bunch of jobs. People should not be packed in meatpacking industries. They shouldn't work dangerous environments. Absolutely. Use technology. But I really question this vision of the unemployed society. I mean, what is that vision? Is that a vision of where people don't do anything and they don't organize? We, I mean, the, the, if you're talking about a paradigm shift, we provision for ourselves. We care for ourselves. We Everything that we do, 80% of what we do is we educate, we train ourselves, we feed ourselves, clothe ourselves. We, I mean, it's all services. And so the question is, is that going to go away with like mass unemployment? You know, wage work happens to be the coordinating mechanism of this work now, right? If you want to envision a different coordinating mechanism, sure, let's go. And we could talk about that. But in, in this juncture, Wage work is one of the, you know, also unpaid work, we've got to recognize this, but it's one important coordinating mechanism. And that work has to be done. I mean, people do have to eat. So I just cannot foresee this, you know, leisure class uh, society where somebody will be kicking up their feet and somebody else will be feeding them. You know, I, you know, who will that person be? And so, see, the idea is that the job guarantee could establish a job standard. And as I discuss in my book, the 30-hour working week was the popular option back in the 30s. I mean, that was like almost 100 years ago. It's long overdue. If we do a job guarantee that has reduced working hours, then that becomes the standard for pay for pay and for, for work, uh, working time. 
if the job guarantee uh, provides universal child care uh, and, you know, Medicare benefits, then that becomes the standard for all. I would much rather decouple medical benefits from jobs, but we also need mechanism to do paid leave and all the other things. So, so it's a structural reform. Unemployment is not a structural reform. And then if you want to think about paradigm shift, the job guarantee does offer something valuable here because it recognizes and pays underpaid and undervalued existing work. It provides employment opportunities on different bases. It is not because we are going to generate high profit from your employment. If that's the model, then employment is a cost, right? If it's a profit-driven employment paradigm, then employment is always a cost. People will always be you know, too expensive to be hired. But if the employment is done for public use and public service, then the job guarantee kind of fills that gap. You can potentially envision a society that has, you know, transitioned into valuing better and more these activities that just need to be done by the public sector. You've essentially been talking about this already, but I want to just kind of ask directly because I think one of the most common criticisms that I've heard of the, of the job guarantee is that it's basically just workfare, right? Like we kind of have a long and ugly history of taking something that we offer as a, a social safety net benefit and then attaching a work requirement to it as a way to basically get people off of it, right? To do like austerity and and to kind of force people back into the economy in a way that's that's not, that has, really has nothing to do with like dignity of work or anything like that. You know, how is this not workfare? What is the difference? And when you talk about providing jobs for people who, for example, are are undesirable to the private employment market because of a disability or whatever, you know, right now, a lot of those people would be collecting disability payments. And, and you know, some of them might want to work and do jobs that they're not allowed to do. Some of them might be perfectly happy kind of doing their own endeavors, you know, whether those are artistic or something else. So like, how does this sort of interact? And, and what would you say to people who hear you say this and think, well, you know, are you just trying to replace federal disability benefits with a work requirement? Well, I mean, the answer is, is no, it's a straightforward. No, this is an additional program. And I talk about it as a missing piece of the social welfare system. It's a broken system. I and mean, we need to we need to do much better on many counts. But again, the logic is the following. If, if you have food insecurity, we got to guarantee food. If we have education and security, we guarantee education. If there is retirement and security, we guarantee retirement. If there's job insecurity, we give you a little bit of money and then maybe train you for jobs that aren't there, which like we need to have also a job option. Now, you can do a job guarantee in a bad way and a good way, right? You can certainly, <laughs> you know, have a policy that is punitive and I think that uh, there are polit politicians that don't hesitate to use direct employment to, to those ends. So we got to be able to uh, advance an affirmative and more democratic solution. The job guarantee as proposed is, is a, it's just a straightforward job in the public service sector that is proposed and designed at the local level from the ground up by folks who understand what are the needs of those communities. Now, you can do democratizing budget, you know, the participatory budgeting, other democratic models of organization. I mean, we can talk about this, but... Uh, the point is that we, if we want to really affirm the right to employment, we want to do it in a, in a dignified way. This is not a substitute for other benefits. That's not a, the job guarantee. Now, I want to I wanna go back to something that we, we talked about earlier. You know, like, what about unemployment insurance? Uh, what about a generous unemployment insurance? Like, we have European countries that have generous unemployment insurance. 
and almost close to permanent unemployment insurance. They still struggle with the problem of unemployment and they still don't have a policy that ensures that if somebody needs work, uh, they can find it. And so in that sense, this is a kind of a missing component of the welfare uh, safety net. Now, with respect to, you know, artistic endeavors and valuing creative work, etc., that's all part of the public purpose. I don't really see why these are formidable challenges because we've done this before. We, we've seen it done in so many areas, a small scale and big scale. The New Deal, of course, understood that musicians and poets need to eat and they need some basic economic stability. We see that, uh, you know, across the oceans in India, there is a rural employment guarantee. We see the, the material immediate benefits of providing directly employment for people who need work. So public employment has played this huge part in American history. And, you know, the, the New Deal, a lot of it was just a very large jobs program and the Civilian Conservation Corps and things like that. I'd love to ask your thoughts on why a jobs guarantee instead of just, say, take the National Park Service budget and add five million jobs to it or, you know, say, you know, every year assess the level of unemployment and just increase the amount of public jobs as job positions, not as a guarantee. And is it correct? You know, an an addition to that question is the way I kind of think about it, like a very kind of way of reading the jobs guarantee as a public hiring program by the federal government is, is it right to think of it as a more flexible way of doing like a large increase in federal hiring? So instead of saying, let's add 5 million jobs to the National Park Service, let's say, let's add this amount of jobs and then let every community decide how they want to use those jobs in their lists of nice to haves that they have on their city kind of request sheets. I guess the first question is, why not just increase kind of the staff of the federal government? And two, is it correct to think about this as increasing the staff of the federal government, but it's just a much more flexible program? I'd love to hear your general thoughts on that kind of constellation. And I'm very happy you asked me this question, because there's so much confusion out there on this point. And I feel like that the job guarantee has been asked the impossible task. You know, that, you know, it has to now fix all like public sector problems that we're facing. And of course, we are living, you know, after 50 years of austerity and decimating public services and all of that. And and a lot of folks like find the appeal of the job guarantee because they think, hey, you know, now we can hire a whole bunch of people. Just hire the people like that would be absolutely my preference. You know, if if I, I had, again, an enlightened government and it said, look, let's just staff the EPA, the FDA as needed with all the inspectors, with all of the engineers, let's do it. Let's provide a fortified fire prevention uh, program. So these are guarantees, you see. They're guarantees that the public sector will do uh, what it is supposed to do on permanent basis. And so you could think of it as a service guarantee, public service guarantee. Now, slightly different from an employment guarantee, because uh, in such a world, we will have a far more stable economy and public services, and we will have much smaller problem of unemployment to deal with. Does this mean that we still should not be guaranteeing employment to the last person on the line who has not found a job in these in the public works department or in, a, in the private sector? No, I think that it is still a good idea to provide the public service employment. Now, then also the public sector will be far better suited at uh, employing those folks. You know, get get a, get unemployed people to shadow some of te- some of those teachers. Get them to work in the public uh, service, national park service. 
we can absorb them much easier while we are providing the training, the credentialing, all of the other things that folks might need to transition elsewhere. So I think the answer is yes, you want to have stable, ongoing public services that are well supported. You want to have a private sector that generates good jobs and you will still need a public option for those who are left behind. I, I can I want to just come back to something that you said. I, I don't know the history here, but you said something about the New Deal understanding that poets need to eat, I think is what you said. And I, I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about that, like what that was and, and how that fits in with the jobs guarantee. Because I think what I was kind of alluding to is is I just hearing anecdotally or rather kind of describing anecdotally, I can say that like the people who I know who are writers and want to make a living being writers, I think, are big fans of something like a UBI and are very skeptical of a job guarantee where they would say like, oh, you know, what I want to do is write and I and I don't necessarily want to have to like go work 30 hours a week doing something, especially if that thing feels kind of like artificially created in order to kind of like justify my being able to live and do the more artistic endeavor that I actually want. But it sounds like that's kind of a, a, a incomplete understanding of, it, of how that actually worked or would work. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the New Deal, we had the Federal Writers Project. That was a program that specifically employed, you know, historians, writers, teachers. There was a theater project that employed unemployed, you know, actors. The Writers Project actually did the slave narratives, the oral histories Jazz musicians, you know, I, I lived for some time in Kansas City, you know, uh, there were programs for unemployed uh, musicians and uh, there was a generation of young people who were trained by those employed by the New Deal uh, musicians. And so, you know, it's, it's an odd idea that an artist will say it's a made job, made up job, where the idea is precisely to bring in that work into the community, to, to allow others to access the, the output, if you will, of the creative output of those people. Yeah, I mean, I think you're giving a more sophisticated answer than, than the question was, which is I think that people often imagine that the jobs guarantee is like, okay, well, you have, you know, the job is going and cleaning up the park, right? I don't, I don't think people usually conceive of it as like, at least in, in this sort of online imagination of being like, oh, you mean this jobs guarantee would actually pay me to do the thing that I want to do rather than the thing that someone tells me I have to do. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it is a matter of imagination. I also would say I, I really am unhappy when people poo-poo uh, the sanitation jobs and like, you know, oh, there sure. are all yeah, these yeah. examples, but I, I'm not saying you're doing, I'm not saying you're doing it, but there's that narrative. No, I was a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but you're totally right. There, right? Like, you know, what do how do we talk about all oh, those unskilled people that have nothing to contribute? Like, I mean, really, they're really not employable. I mean, there's there's kind of a, something dehumanizing about the way we talk fo about folks who just can't do anything that can be of use. And I, I just uh, contest that. Now, I, I agree that there are many folks that have something to, to contribute of different value, whether it's artistic, whether it is, you know, some green work, some care work. And I, and I know that there's that fear out there that, Oh, I would absolutely hate to have a job guarantee worker, you know, do meals on wheels for my elderly grandparent. And the question is, why? Why are we horrified by this idea? Do we not have elderly problems? Do we not have folks who might need, if you will, companionship or a, somebody who can check in on their education, somebody who could just look in on them? 
there is a way to, to train people to do this work. And some folks may be suitable and some may not be suitable. But what I'm suggesting is that if we open up the imagination of what is considered useful in society, we can help through the job guarantee to create those opportunities. Once again, I want to emphasize, I'd much rather have permanent structures that deal with this work. And so now we just have to just completely rehabilitate the idea of the public purpose and that it's the job of government to do those things. Mm-hmm. As a final question, we're not going to end on kind of one of these hard uh what do you say about this questions? Let's end on a positive note, which is, what is the state of the jobs guarantee in the United States? You're kind of probably more than anyone else out there aware of where it's picking up steam, which candidates are getting interested in it. Is there prospects for it becoming law in the coming decade? What What's your ear to the ground on this, the state of this policy idea? Well, it's a... Uh very quickly became mainstreamed, I think, during the political cycle when a number of Democratic presidential candidates endorsed it. And then there were a number of bills that were in the works. Some we've seen, like the experimental pilot project that uh, Ilan Omar had uh, had put together, but also uh, Cory Booker had talked about. Now, what I find is was very exciting is how how other people who are working on other issues are finding and understanding how the job guarantee connects to their work. Like the Green New Deal, for example, using the job guarantee in a multi-pronged way within the green agenda, both in terms of a guarantee, in terms of the public option, the, the transition, the bridge program, but also a guarantee for well-paid union jobs into the industrial strategy as well as an income guarantee for minors and others who might not be able to work and need uh, early retirement. I also am encouraged by recent polling. We have been polling the job guarantee or the, the idea that the government should create jobs for the unemployed for quite some time. And it's always been upwards of 50%. But in the last few years, recent polls are showing upwards of 70% and strong bipartisan support. So it's not, you know, jobs are not like a left and right issue. Uh, I think that it resonates with many people. Uh, I'm encouraged by the fact that international uh, organizations are are paying attention and listening and or at least trying to revive this uh, this idea of the right to employment. You know, I, I, I use the example of the movements in the early 90s that coalesced and then produced the New Deal. There's an opening and then a whole bunch of uh, other meaningful reforms happen. I think that it's incumbent on us to just provide what people want. And if people want jobs, I think that we need to find a policy that does that. If there are folks who don't want jobs, you know, we can think about what is the kind of support that, uh, you know, we can provide for those people. But this deals with a very particular problem. If somebody wants a job, we can guarantee a basic job option. And so, so to that end, I'm, I'm encouraged that the conversation uh, is widespread and we'll see what happens next. <laughs> I think at the policy level, some sort of direct jobs program is going to happen. It is it almost irrespective of who's, who's, uh, who's uh, president. There will be direct employment. There will be some infrastructure. But the question is, are we going to be building walls or are we going to be fighting fires in California and dealing with the floods and hurricanes across the nation? Thank you so much for coming on Current Affairs and helping us get closer to the question of, is MMT real? We really appreciate it. Stay tuned, listeners, for uh, more questions in this realm of 
ideas that are rising up around modern monetary theory. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Rabbit Hole Podcast is produced by Dan Thorne. Theme music is by Danny Bradley. If you enjoyed this episode of Rabbit Hole, please, please support us at patreon.com slash rabbitholepodcast. Help us keep all of our episodes open to everyone. We can't do it without you. If you didn't enjoy this episode of Rabbit Hole, try another episode. Maybe we had an off day. <laughs>